You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Life is not about peak. Life is about doing the best you can in the moment because we never know what the moment is going to bring. We never know what's going to happen. We can predict at least a little bit, right? But if 2020 taught us anything, it's like, hey, we don't know, which means we have to be able to be okay with doing our very best, whatever that best may look like. And sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's pretty dirty, messy, and ugly. That was Rich Divini. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Welcome and welcome back, Marnie on the Move listeners. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. How's your 2021 going so far? Are you sticking to your goals, moving forward with your workouts and training? I don't know about you, but I have done a lot of self-exploration and inner work, personal and professional development over the past year. So when I connected with today's guest, former Navy SEAL Rich Divini, and discovered his amazing new book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance, I was beyond excited to use this book as a tool to take all of this work that I've done to the next level. And speaking of optimal performance, shout out to Marnie on the Move sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, back to our guest. Rich Divini is a former Navy SEAL commander who served on 13 overseas deployments over 21 years as an active member and officer of the Armed Forces' most elite, top-secret group. During his career, Rich was intimately involved in a specialized SEAL selection process, which whittled a group of hundreds of extraordinary spec ops candidates down to a handful of the most elite performers. Often, Divini would be surprised by which candidates didn't make it and which succeeded. Someone could have all the right skills and still fail, while more dismissible candidates would ironically prove to be top performers. This seemingly objective criteria wasn't really telling him what he needed to know. Who would succeed in one of the world's toughest military assignments? It is really similarly hard to predict success in the real world. We have all seen the underdog student accomplish exceptional achievements or highly skilled employees fail to meet expectations. We have seen the 
Little engine that could type of entrepreneur and company excel to the top. And we've seen the dream team with tons of talent, lots of capital, and a high-profile brand go under. While working with top special operators for decades, Rich noticed that beneath obvious skills are hidden drivers of performance, surprising core attributes, including cunning, adaptability, courage, and even narcissism that determine how resilient or perseverant we are, how situationally aware, and how conscientious we are. These attributes inform how we perform as individuals and as a team. These same methodologies that Rich used as a SEAL can be used by anyone in their lives for personal and professional development. Understanding these attributes can empower you to perform optimally in any situation. And we've all experienced some crazy situations over the past year, right? During our conversation today, Rich offers an inside look at his new book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance. He shares the inspiration and philosophy behind the book, how to use the book to uncover our hidden attributes, understanding the difference between skills, talent, and attributes. He sheds light on optimal versus peak performance and how to use your attributes for personal and professional development. He also dials us in to the very cool online assessment tools he created with a dynamic team of experts so you can see what you're made of when it comes to grit, mental acuity, and drive. Check it out on theattributes.com. Rich also talks about the special ops training program called Mind Gym, the first of its kind scientifically devised to help elite soldiers perform faster, longer, and better in all environments, especially high-stress ones. We can all learn a thing or two from this. And of course, we talk about the training fueling him for success these days. You'd be surprised. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app, click on five stars, and leave a review. Also, share this podcast with your friends on your social feeds, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you like to share. Don't forget, sign up for our weekly email at marnieonthemove.com. Now, on to the conversation. It's so awesome to have you on the Marnie on the Move podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And yeah, it's good to be here and it's good to be in 2021. <laughs> yes, it is. The, the energy feels different already. It's just so amazing. I agree. It, uh, it is amazing and we'll tread lightly, but we'll, we'll stay optimistic. You're the first Navy SEAL that I have had on the Marty on the Move podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm honored. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything you've done for our country and all of your years of experience. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's always nice to, to be appreciated. And I always say that the, the appreciation for the military holistically has always been just phenomenal and, and well-received and, and, and appreciated on our end because none of us could do what we do without the, without the home front. So, so I appreciate you and I appreciate the appreciation. Of course. And I loved reading your book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance. Oh, thank you. That, that means a lot to me. It was such a game changer. It could not have come at a better time. It, it's, it's amazing to me because the idea for the book has, while well, the idea has been in my, on my head for a decade plus, and, and of course, the, the idea for the book for, for the last few years, uh, but no one 
could have predicted. And I was really, I had most of the book done as we entered into kind of the quarantine, the pandemic. And it was really as the book, the book was finished, and I was, we were editing and things like that. And I was thinking, man, this really does make sense because, you know, here we are, and I'm kind of talking about uncertainty, challenge, and stress. I'm talking about those innate qualities that kind of bubble up in those times. And here we all are thrown into this. And so I think you're right. It was, it's really neat for me to be able to to have uh, written this, and but also have to be putting it out at a time that it can really hopefully help a lot of people reflect and, and just do better in 2021. Yeah, I mean, because it really comes from the 21 years that you spent in the Navy SEALs, and which culminated in you as a commanding officer leading this selection process for a top secret elite force within the SEALs. But the premise behind your book is it's it's really evergreen and especially relevant right now. I mean, what inspired you to to write this book and synthesize these ideas to put out there as this sort of you know guide to hidden drivers of optimal performance? Yeah, you know, I'm inspired by human potential overall. This idea that we've gone from cave dwellers to space explorers in, I mean, I say 50,000 years, it's even less than that. I mean, even a few hundred years, to be honest with you, or, or maybe a few thousand if we call it talk cave dwellers. But the ability for human beings to get out and imagine what doesn't exist and then bring it into existence has always inspired me. And when I look at potential, it all comes down to our ability to perform and do and act. And as a kid growing up in Connecticut, I was I had a really nice youth. I mean, I had a great family, nice you know, siblings, nice upbringing. I was an average student. I was an average athlete. I was an average kid. Yet I found my way into distinctly non-average career and situations and learning a bunch of things and became really intrigued by what are those elemental things that cause us to perform the way we do. And whether that's, whether that's to not perform, because some people can't seem to get moving or can't seem to achieve those goals or those people who do achieve goals and they perform extraordinary things. But ultimately we're all humans. We all, we all start with the same stuff. Uh, and I'm really, I've always been fascinated kind of getting out, getting down into those elemental things. And, and the attributes was one of those things after kind of experiencing this laboratory of, 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 of training and selection where I was, I was kind of driven to tease these things out. I realized after doing so, wait, this has a lot more to do with, us as just humans than it does just spec ops. And this can be applicable in all of life. And so as a, certainly as a military person, but as a, as a husband, as a, as a parent, as a brother, as a, as a son, as a friend, and coming out of the military as someone who's trying to do something different, these attributes are always appear. They, they always appear. They're always, well, I shouldn't, they're always hidden. They're like the coding, you know, behind the app. They're always there driving our performance. And that's really what inspired me to write about it, get it on, on paper. And the writing process was really fun for me because just writing about it allowed me to explore these things with even more depth and gain even more clarity. So the whole process, I have to say, uh, although it was more difficult than I thought it would be, right. it was um, it was enormously, it was enormously enjoyable. So yeah, no, I mean, I think in theory and in concept, things seem a lot easier than usually they're going to be, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's a Absolutely. lesson you've learned like millions of times over. But like when it comes right. to you doing it, it's so different. But did you ever think like while you were doing your SEAL training that one day you'd write a book and it would synthesize into this? <laughs> well, I had always been, I always loved writing. I will say that. And when I was in college, my favorite classes were the classes. In fact, my very favorite class was the 
was a political science class where the professors, you know, for day one, he said, hey, there are two grades in this class. The first grade is midterm. It's going to be a 10-page paper. And the last grade is uh, a final, and it's going to be a 25-page paper. And you could see, I looked around, and you could see people in the class like, oh, my gosh, you know, the, the fear in their eyes. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome, right? Because I just, I like writing, and I always did. So, so while I wouldn't say I had always been thinking about writing a book, it had always been something in the back of my head. And really, when it came down to, you know, I got out of the military in really basically January 1st, 2017 was my first day as a civilian. And I kind of got into this leadership space and I was, you know, speaking in front of people and teaching some classes, which was outside my comfort zone. Um, And I really uh, was able to, at that point, kind of like you say, reflect. And, you know, with reflection comes clarity and with clarity come oftentimes ideas and new ideas and, and initiatives. And I think that's where it came from. And here we are four years later. I'm really kind of proud to have been able to get this all down. I think it's great. One of the biggest concepts in your book, and it's in the beginning of your book, is you talk about these 25 hidden drivers of optimal performance and the attributes that we as humans are all made of, and we all have different attributes. How do you know which ones you have? One of the things you talk about in your book, which you learned as a SEAL, is dormant attributes are revealed during deep challenge and extreme stress as that relates to your training. But I think, you know, as somebody who's just gone through 2020, I feel like we've all been put through this sort of buds type test to see what we're made of. And I feel like these situations are so different, right? Like I'm not jumping out of an airplane. I'm not diving to the bottom of the ocean or hanging out in the surf, as you talk about in your book, which would never do it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've been through that, though, mentally in the past year. What are your thoughts on like 2020 versus buds? Yes, it's a really interesting comparison. and, And there is one there. BUDS, basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training, for those listeners who may not know, that's basic. It's, it's basically how a, a, a person in the Navy becomes you know, a SEAL, a Navy SEAL, and it's a six-month-long course, and it's incredibly difficult and tough, some of the, historically some of the toughest training on the planet. And you go through that process, and you, you know, you, you're, you're in it, and you go through enormous challenge and strike. One of the kind of the coup de grace of SEAL training is hell week. That's a, a week where you you start on Sunday afternoon and basically you go until Friday afternoon. And that whole week, you only have about two hours sleep. So basically, you know, you're running around with boats on your heads. You have telephone poles you're exercising with. You're, you're in the surf zone freezing. It's just really rough. You get most people quitting during that time. And your typical attrition rate for, for SEAL training is something like 90, 85, 90%. So, so my class back in the mid-90s, for example, uh, we started with 160-something and ended, we graduated with 38. And that's kind of average. Wow. So so now the one of the ways, so the way you quit SEAL training is they have a bell. You have to ring the bell. So And they carry the bell everywhere you go. And so if you choose to quit, you know, you basically go up to the instructor and say, I'm going to quit. And you have to ring that bell three times, indicating you quit. And I thought about this in terms of, uh, so, so this type of challenge and stress, I mean, they take you down to zero. And what's interesting about Buzz, one of the things I loved about SEAL training really, to be honest with you, was the purity of the system. It didn't matter where you came from, didn't matter who you were, didn't matter if you were the star athlete, didn't matter if you were the alma mater, didn't matter if you were just some kid from the farm, right? The the program took everybody down to zero, if not sub-zero, 
in terms of capability and, and ability, and then asked the question, really, where are you going to go from here? And those who could do it did, you know, and didn't quit, but those who couldn't quit. And so you'd have sometimes, oftentimes, you'd have these star athletes uh, coming to SEAL training, and they'd be quitting within the first couple of days, whereas the, the kid from Minnesota who, you know, just moved hay bales, you know, for his entire life, he was fine, right? So so the, the purity of the system was cool. But the reason why it was so pure is because it the, the environment brought you down to these to nothing. No, you didn't come with any skills to deal with it. So you were kind of leaning on these attributes. And I know we'll get, we'll get into the difference yeah. here soon. The difference between SEAL training and 2020 is that none of us volunteered for 2020, right? right? I mean, every one of us on the beaches of Coronado volunteered to be there. And also the other difference, and there's this huge one, is that none of us could quit 2020. There was no bell we could ring right. to get out of it, right? So we were thrown. In, so in many ways, 2020 was worse for all of us than Bud's is because we were thrown into an environment without volunteering. We didn't, we didn't want to be there. And we couldn't leave it. We couldn't quit. So it was worse, but cool in the sense that because of that, we were forced to lean on our attributes and we were forced to discover these things and realize what what are those things we come to the table with especially when things are uncertain and challenging and stressful and dark there's no foreseeable outcome we were just kind of waiting and so 2020 for all of us i want all, I, I think all of us should yeah. pat ourselves on the back because yeah. it was it was in some ways worse than buds <laughs> yeah no i learned a lot about myself but it wasn't stuff that i didn't really already know because I have my own business. <laughs> so right. That's I mean, right. as somebody who's an entrepreneur, like I've had my own business for 20 years. So like there are some years where I'm crushing it and there are some years where it really sucks. And right. I have learned to adapt in those situations, but that was me. And I watched, yeah. you know, all of my friends in the restaurant business and the retail business, like it was not easy and it wasn't easy for me, but I just kind of like took the time to focus on, yeah. you know, what I could do positively to move forward. And I've always been that way, but I didn't realize like, you know, it was an actual attribute to be resilient or to master the pivot. Right. Right. And let me offer this because I think this is interesting because yes, you're, you're an entrepreneur and there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing more uncertain than entrepreneurship and, and when you when you enter into that game. So anybody who's successful as an entrepreneur, assuming that they're going in, I guess, without uh, a huge um, you know, net that they can they can fall in, is going to have to manage and navigate uncertainty, challenge, and stress. But there's another factor that you didn't mention, which also prepared you, and that's your endurance right. athleticism. I, I mean endurance about athletes. That yeah. 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 I mean, these are, these are not, I mean, this is different than a swim meet. It's different than a running race that has a, a has a, a start point and a finish point, And there's a, basically a time frame. endurance athletes. And I think there's, there's certain athletic endeavors that actually really capitalize on our ability to train in uncertainty. And I think endurance athletics are, is one, are one of those because you're going into a race that, first of all, has it's so far, it's so long that you don't really want to focus on the end. On the end, you can't because it's too far away. So you have to first, you have to right. chunk it. Then it's going to because you're in different environments. It's going to not go necessarily how you plan it to go. You have to be adaptable depending on weather, depending on conditions, depending on I don't know your your gear, whatever gear you use during that uh, event. So there's adaptability kind of baked into that event. I think fighting sports are the same way. I mean, you know, fighters will train in this move or that move, but ultimately when they get into the ring or get into the octagon, they are in full adapt adaptation mode. I mean, they just have to base their 
their strategy on what the other guy is doing right. or gal. And then I think like rock climbing would be another one. The rock right. climber doesn't doesn't start at the face of the cliff and be like, okay, I'm just I'm going to look at the top and go all the way up. No, the rock climber basically says, okay, I just have to move, you know, notch to notch and uh, and adapt as I go. And sometimes that adaptability will require me to go down and to the right because the next best pathway up forces me to go down a little bit before I can go up again. Right. So, so depending on the athletics that someone is uh, kind of involved in, uh, that can be a really great proving ground and training ground. And I think that's also why you, you felt pretty prepared. That's so interesting that you say that. Cause now that you're saying that I'm thinking about really where it started for me with having that adaptability, flexibility, and perseverance. And maybe when I hear you talk about like one step at a time kind of thing, you know, I mean, it is how I swim in a race typically, but the other sports I just go, but it is like I, I mentally, when I'm swimming, I'm like, just get to the next buoy. Like you're going to be fine. I have like that kind of mindset, but it really like started, I think with windsurfing when I was like 16 years old, because you can never go from like point A to point B you might be right. working at point B, but there's so many steps in between that you have to navigate to get to where you want to be that have nothing to do with moving forward, but like sideways. That's right. You know, we were talking about like different environments, right? Where these yep. these attributes come out or are brought out. So what are these different factors and environments that affect us during these like high stress fight or flight moments? So one one other note, because I think this is fascinating. I just want to touch on this for, yeah, just sure. for the audience, because I, I think it would be helpful for the audience to think about their their upbringing and think about situations just like you do with windsurfing. Right. There yeah. are oftentimes situations, events that we can draw upon from our past that say that that have trained us in ways that we didn't know they trained us. And it's funny you should bring up windsurfing because I think you're absolutely right. I had just before this call, I was thinking about this topic and I was like, hmm, what are those situations for me? And um, when I was a kid, my dad, uh, we had a we had a wood burning fireplace in our house. And so my dad didn't like to turn on the heat. He liked to, <laughs> to have a fire going. Um, and so he'd order like two or three cords of wood and have it dumped into our driveway. And it was our job, my brothers and, and my job to move that wood from the driveway up to the house and stack it. Well, uh, the only way we could do that was go kind of the long way around the house up a hill because the short way involves stairs and you can't a wheelbarrow upstairs right um right. so we moved this wood that was our thing and and i thought about it and moving wood is one of those things that you're just you don't focus on the ends when you have a big pile of wood in front of you i mean you're, you, like, you're basically focused yeah. yeah you're just like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna fill this wheelbarrow i'm gonna take this wheelbarrow up i'm gonna stack it i'm gonna come down i'm gonna fill it again i'm gonna and i'm gonna chunk it into and you only actually start to feel like you're getting to the end at the very end when the pile actually looks like oh man i think i only have a couple here left so so I think it behoove uh, audience members and people to think about times in their lives, and they could be as fun as windsurfing, as kind of inane as as moving wood. But those are grit training right there. Yeah. That's grit training because you're you're learning how to chunk elements. Um, and and so to get to your question, when we talk about these environments, I mean the the environments and challenge and uncertainty and stress are going to are going to bring us oftentimes into uh, into situations where skills don't apply. So I think that might be a good time for me to yeah, just kind of talk about uh, skills outline the difference, actually, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so skills, so skills are, uh, not innate 
they're not inherent to our nature. Okay, we, we're not we're not born with the ability to throw a ball, or ride a bike, or, or drive a car. We we learn those things, and we can learn them in many ways. We can sit down and be, in, uh, sit in a class and be taught. We can practice. We can even learn them in some ways peripherally, because you know if you and I are typing on a computer for for six months, we're going to eventually learn how to type. You know, so so those are skills. Skills also direct behavior in known situations and environments. So here's how and when to drive a car. Here's how and when to throw a ball. Here's how and when to, to ride a bike or even in the military sense, you know, shoot a gun or anything like that. Um, and therefore, they're very visible. Because they're visible, they're very, very easy to see, assess, measure, and test. And this, this is a reason why we're often seduced by skills in hiring processes or selection processes right. because you can see them, you can grade them, you can measure them because sports, say football or baseball or any of these sports uh, is such a conditioned and codified environment. This is why statistics and stats can matter so much because everything can be measured and tested. Sports is in many cases, especially the kind of the, the field sports, very predictable and skills really come to the fore. The problem is that skills don't necessarily tell us how we're going to operate and perform when things go sideways and things go south and the environments become uncertain. This is where attributes come in. Attributes are inherent to our nature, okay? So we're born with levels of uh, adaptability and resilience and perseverance. And we can see this type of stuff in small kids. I mean, we can see it. I mean, certainly not infants, but as soon as, as, soon as a child starts moving, uh, around you can see these levels right um, it's like their nature it's like what they, yeah, it's their nature. they naturally gravitate <laughs> yes towards. that's exactly yeah. right you can t i can tell like my my son when they were when he was young like, okay this one son is a little bit more patient than the other one right so these these things show up now certainly they develop over time the other thing that attributes do is they inform our behavior they don't dictate it right so for example my son's level of resilience and perseverance and adaptability informed the way he learned how to ride a bike when he fell off a dozen times doing so. Okay. So, right. so it informs the way we show up. Um, and as such, because they're hidden and in the background, they're very difficult to assess, measure, and test because they're hard to see. They are the most visceral and visible in times of challenge, uncertainty, and stress, because in times, in those types of times, it's very difficult to apply a known skill to an unknown, an unknown environment. In an unknown environment where there's challenge and stress, we are, we are seeking to understand that environment and adapt and absorb it and then act, right? And that's, that comes down to attributes. That comes down to things like patience and situational awareness and, and adaptability. So the so the this is so this is by the way is why um, I was so easily able to kind of study this stuff when I was running this training because everything about SEAL training, regardless whether it was the basic stuff or the stuff I was running, is about throwing people into uh, challenge and uncertainty. So you could see this stuff start to come to the fore. Uh, but just for everybody's kind of just to bring this home for everybody, uh, this is 2020 for all of us. Okay, when we all got quarantined overnight. And suddenly we're in this new world that none of us have experienced before. Very few, if any of us, had any skills with which we could fall upon. All of us were leaning on our attributes. Just like you said, you were leaning on your adaptability. You were leaning on your open-mindedness. You were leaning on your resilience. And those of us who had a, a little bit more of, say, adaptability, probably found it a little bit easier to adapt. You know, And, and the other thing that, as I researched this, I discovered and I would, I would maintain is that we are all actually born with all of these attributes. The difference in each one of us is the levels to which we have each, right? So, so you and I, based on our upbringing, for example, might be a level, level eight on adaptability, whereas someone else we know might be a level four, you know, right. and there's no right or wrong. There's no judgments about that. It's just, it is what it is. It's just, what that means is that when, when you and I started looking at the quarantine and it's like, okay, 
this is coming down the pike. Uh, this is weird, right? Well, you and I started thinking, okay, how can I adapt? We immediately started. It became that it was, was the it first was thing. Fairly, I, that was my go-to. Yeah, what am I going to yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah. And fairly, fairly, effort, I wouldn't say effortless because it's not, not effortless, but certainly, certainly it was part of our nature. It, was, it yeah. might have been seamless. Whereas there are a lot of people who didn't do that very easily. And that might show that they're a little bit less on adaptability. They're still adaptable because human beings are. They're just a little bit less. So, so these environments tease that out, uh, especially high stress ones, because high stress ones uh, tip us into this zone where it's hard to pl- apply a known skill. And so that's right. why attributes are so visible. Speaking of high stress, like this was high stress, but I have thought before that I have been in high stress. But after this, I don't think it was high stress. And I'll give you an example of where yeah. maybe I wasn't adaptable. For example, like going to do, we're talking about endurance sports and triathlon. There have been one or two times in my 14 years of racing and training where I looked at the water and I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? There was nothing making me do it. So I just like walked away. And that yeah. really isn't like my MO, but like in that moment, and I thought, yeah, no, I'm not winning like a million dollars and I'm not a professional athlete and there's no reason I have to put myself through this. But like, I thought that was stressful up until, yeah. and probably that was in my mind, like one of those like high stress moments for me where I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And then 2020 yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you had no choice, right? That's, yeah. And that's why 2020 felt the way it did for all of us, because we had no choice. We had no choice in getting into it, and we had no we had no option out of it. And that's a big deal. It really is bigger than any. I mean, even me in SEAL training, I could have quit. I mean, certainly right. I had that option. I volunteered to be there, and I could have quit. I had those options. So it's a big deal, and I think attributes. It's why all of us learned a lot about ourselves this year. The question is, can we codify that? Like how do we first take that into it? our life moving forward? Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, we're talking about this in the spectrum of life, but it's also great, like this skills versus attributes for people to really understand, especially if they're, you know, we've just been through hell week, but it was a year. And mm-hmm. so now we're like in 2021 and maybe people are looking to change careers or build a new company or whatever it is that people, you know, sign up for races and like understand who they are and what they're capable of and what risks they can take and different, you know, understanding like what's a skill, what's an attribute. And then my favorite talent. So (laughs) so that's my favorite. I have to tell you when I, I just think it's really important for everyone to think about skills versus attributes and really be able to identify and make a note of the difference as, you know, you try to codify these things to move forward in, 2021, which is going to be a great year. I agree, and, and so, yeah, and just for everybody, if if there's a question, the way to the way to differentiate I, each one would be it, it, typically if you can teach it to another, it's probably a skill, right? So, and if you if you if you can't teach it to someone, it has to, if it has to be self directed uh, and self uh, and and self motivated, it's probably an attribute. So the example is I can we can sit down and I can teach you a class on typing, or I can teach you how to shoot a gun. But I can't sit down and teach you patience or teach you humility or teach you uh, resilience. This is where this is it's kind of a back of the envelope way to tell. And then the other thing before we get into talent is that skill. We just have to remember skills are necessary. I mean, they're, they're important and they're necessary because we all have to have skills. We all have to be able to do certain things depending on what role uh, we're in, whether it be a business role or a family role or, or whatever. So skills are necessary. There's nothing wrong with them. We just have to understand that um, when it comes to challenge, uncertainty, and stress. And it comes to sometimes just our our behavior that happens without thinking about it. 
um, the, the real key into understanding that is, is attributes, not skill. Yeah, it was such an eye opener for me. And it really, it's like, you know it, but then when you in your book, it's like you really brought it to light. And I what I really love about your book also is how you talk about talent, which yeah. really, it's like, once you know your talent, then you can really move forward like and train your like train your strengths and improve your weaknesses and understand your talent. Yeah, absolutely. Talent. So talent is really a dynamic synchronization between attributes and skills. It's not just one or the other. And we can see this very viscerally with athletes, right? I mean, say a professional athlete, Le LeBron James, for example, he's obviously very skilled at shooting free throws and three pointers and, and all the skills, all the requisite skills you need to play basketball. But that's not the only reason why he's so talented and so great. It's because he has things like situational awareness. He has things like adaptability. He has things like resilience. And so that's, so talent becomes a combination, a kind of a catalyzation of the two, but to develop talents, I think it, it helps for people to separate the two because the development of attributes is different than development of skill. Right. Training, for example, is typically developing skill. I can sit at a free throw line and shoot free throw after free throw. In fact, Michael Jordan would talk about this. He's talking about shooting free throw after free throw just to get to make sure he was training to do that. That's training a skill. You can overlay that on almost any skill. I could do the same thing at the range and just shoot and just become a better and better shot and understand my, my finger position and how I look down the barrel and things like that. So, so that's how you train a skill. And it's a conditioned known environment inside of which you can do that. Developing attributes is different. Developing attributes takes oftentimes new experiences, uncertainty and, and stress. So I make a distinction in the book between education and training. And training is just what I described. Education is about experience. It's about opening your aperture. It's about learning new things. It's about understanding new distinctions, especially in complex dynamic environments. But we don't, we'd, uh, it, it'd be weird to you if I said, hey, today after this, after we talk on this podcast, I'm going to go out and I'm going to educate my dog, right? We don't, yeah. we don't educate dogs. Okay. We train them. We train them to do certain things. We train yeah. them to sit or walk or whatever. Education is different. It's about experiencing the world. It's, it's that it's as kids, us, you know, tasting Play-Doh and realizing it tastes bad or pulling the cat's tail and, and getting a hiss at, right? I mean, it's, right. that's, it's, it's that experiential level and that's, that's developing our attributes as well because it's putting us into different experiences that's loading up our hippocampus with whole new concepts and distinctions and things like that. So I think when it comes to developing talent, a good goal would be to understand the two and know that diverse experiences, even if they just seem completely incongruent with what you think you're preparing to do, actually help. This is your, this is windsurfing. Yeah. You know, this is windsurfing helping you prepare to be an entrepreneur. I mean, that's what that is. I mean, it is uh, me moving wood helping me prepare to be a Navy SEAL. And even though you and I didn't know that was going on, yeah. I think understanding this and understanding the concept can help people be more deliberate with that process and say, hey, actually, I could probably um, go snow skiing and figure out how snow skiing is going to help me with my swim time. Right. <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. and that's, and even that, that's a, that's a, that's still an athletic context. I mean, you could, you know, I used to encourage uh, guys when I was in the teams, um, any, any guy who wanted to uh, get further education or, or get a master's degree, you know, so often the military will push people to master's degrees that are uh, related to the military, military history, military right. doctorate, and military strategy. And uh, I and uh, there were other people who, other buddies of mine who also felt this, felt like, hey, if someone wants to go study like basket weaving, 
let them do that because because the spark of creativity is in fact and this is neurological is the ability to make connections that otherwise weren't there so as soon as someone say understands basket weaving and takes that back and say comes to a, a seal mission and says you know what I'm, I'm looking at the way we can conduct this mission i'm thinking about this technique i learned in basket weaving school and i think this technique can be, actually be applied in a different way or you know modified you know uh, to to do something different on this mission. That, that right there, that's creativity. Thinking outside the box. That's exactly right. We don't get those types of sparks unless we're willing to educate ourselves in diverse and different environments. And that, I think that's why it's so important. For those of us who are curious, it's easy. Or for those of us who aren't as curious, it's, uh, it takes a little bit more effort. Yeah. I think that curiosity is definitely key. We're talking about all the different attributes and having these talents and skills, and you break them the attributes down into different categories in your book, into five different categories, which I thought was a super great guide, especially the way you broke them down for, for readers who are looking to identify their key attributes and understand how they all work together. So maybe take me through the five categories and talk about a few of the attributes. Yeah, absolutely. And and this was fun for me because I realized as I put this together that they were naturally clumping in ways that I didn't expect. This is one of those things uh, that you learn while you're writing because right. <laughs> I hadn't had them necessarily clumped this way as I began the project. But, you know, five, so five categories are first the grit attributes. So what are the attributes that make up grit? And grit is I've always been fascinated with grit because I went through SEAL training and it takes right. grit. And you're probably fascinated, too, because entrepreneurship takes grit and, and endurance athletics takes grit. Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of grit and mental acuity and drive. Yeah, I'm sure you do. A lot of people think of grit as a singular attribute, and um, I always found myself disagreeing with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit, and she says as much. It's not, or she says the opposite. She says it's not a singular thing. It's 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 a it's a combination of things, which I agreed with, and I'm glad she. It was a you know wonderful book to read. Um, and so I said okay, to myself, okay, what are the what are the attributes that make up grit? And so the attributes on the, the the grit attributes that I have in the book are courage, perseverance, adaptability, and resiliency. And those blended and catalyzed at whatever levels make up this idea of grit, the ability to kind of move through and typically in smaller increments, you know, uh, because grit is more about the smaller, you know, get get through the now, get through the get through the smaller challenge. And of course, I won't put a timestamp on it, but when we talk about more long-term goals and things like that, I'd start getting into drive and discipline. That's where drive and discipline show up for the longer term right. stuff. But grit's about that kind of powering through, especially that small stuff. So so that's grit. That's the first one. The next one are the mental acuity attributes. And the mental acuity attributes are really how we operate, how our mind functions and operates in the world in terms of processing information. Um, and these are probably the the four uh, out of the 25 that are the only ones that are completely interconnected, you know, um, in other words, you can't really, there, you can't really do one without the other. <laughs> and, and so the mental acuity attributes start with situational awareness. What information am I taking in through all of my senses? And then out of that information, what am I choosing to focus and prioritize, which gets into compartmentalization, which is the next one. And then inside a situation, as I'm doing all that processing, how am I switching between contexts and tasks? That's tax switching. And then learnability. After all of that, am I absorbing this stuff in a way that I can then learn from whatever I learned and then execute differently or the same or or get better? And that's learnability. So those four describe the mental acuity attributes. Then we have drive. Really, what is it that makes people do what they do, but really more over long term? 
right? So, so this is a really more about the uh, acknowledgement and then execution long-term of a long-term goal. And those are self-efficacy, discipline, open-mindedness, cunning, and narcissism. And then we have leadership attributes. So what are those attributes that, that typically make up great leadership? And again, I always say, you know, you, you, you don't get to call yourself a leader. Uh, it's right. like, it's like, it's like I announcing that was that you're interesting. funny. Yeah, that's, yeah, because I like it's, that. it's about, yeah. it's about other people, right? It's about behavior. Leadership is a behavior. It's not a position. People usually conflate being in charge with being a leader. And that's not, you can be in charge, but it's other people who decide whether or not you are their leader. Um, and that's based on behaviors. And so these five attributes in the leadership category are, are attributes that lead to the behavior of people making a, a decision that you're a leader, right? And those are empathy, selflessness, authenticity, decisiveness, and accountability. And then finally, team ability. So this is, team ability is a, I don't know who coined the term. I know we use it in the teams, but it's this ability to, to operate with other people in a group or a team. And again, you also don't get to call yourself a good teammate. Other people get to do that, right? So, and ultimately that's, those are, those are behaviors that you do that cause people to say, this is a great teammate. And those are integrity, conscientiousness, humility, and humor. And, um, and then I have three others we can talk about a little later if we want to, but those are the five categories. In the opening of your book, you talk about this woman who was putting together a team of talent at her you know for her company and how that team you know how she picked the people to be on the team and how the team didn't totally work because she didn't see some of the attributes which I think that's where I sort of heard of the word yeah. team ability yeah. for the first time and also really thought about that because it's really true and it made me think when you're talking about your skill set right when like just like say you know, someone says, like, why would you be good for our team? Like, what can you right. bring to the table? Like, what what do you have? Like, what are you going to add to the equation? You have to answer that question. You think about your skills. Like, oh, I have, you know, I can do mm -hmm. audio engineering. I've been doing PR for 20 years. I know how to write. I can do these things. But, like, right. what do you really bring? Great. We know you know how to do all those things. But hearing the word team ability and, like, thinking of it from the through the lens of, like, your attributes is – really interesting and your talent. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, again, people often think of talent as just skill and that's a mistake. And this is what happened with Julie in the book and most dream teams. In fact, there's, you know, this has happened a few, a, several times. I've been approached by a talk to, you know, businesses about this idea that, Hey, I put together this, this dream team, best graphics designer, best salesperson, best marketing person, best, whatever uh, you name it. And, and man, on paper, we were just phenomenal. And things went great while everything stayed normal. <laughs> but as soon as things went sideways, right. um, you know, we fell apart. And that's because skills just don't tell us that. The problem is, and the reason why, and I would give people a pass here, uh, the reason why it's so hard to do is because, again, skills are visible, measurable. I can see exactly how well someone does something, does a skill. How do I measure someone's level of discipline or level of authenticity or level of selflessness? Or, um, or level of humility, right? I, you know, I could go and tell uh, an interviewer, hey, I'm a really humble person. But as soon as I do that, in fact, like I was just saying, is humility is, so, is, is a very fragile thing. Yeah. Because as soon as you think you have it, you've lost it, right? Because as soon as I tell you I'm humble, right. <laughs> I've, just, I've just lost my humility, yeah. right? So, so how do you then yeah. measure these things? And the, the key is to put people into environments that challenge these things uh, versus just challenge their skills. Because we can all prepare to kind of peak when we want to, but can we put people into environments? And it doesn't have to be uh, malicious or sadistic or really intense, but just small elements of stress um, that, allow so, that allow us to see 
the a different side of a, of a person we, because again usually people do interview process well, we, well any one of us can pretend to be anybody for a 30 minute interview i mean it's not that hard you know so the interview is not going to tell you who that person really is it's really going to be experience right. and it's going to be seeing that person through some different contexts or seeing how they think or putting them in situations where where we can tease some of the stuff out well it's so interesting because i've never hired anyone based on their skills alone I have just a very organic process of hiring people. So yeah. I never thought about it until I read your book. And I'm like, yeah. wow, I'm doing it right. Because I do things based on energy and kind of yeah, stuff, yeah. right? But like I do things based yeah. on how I feel. You know, there was someone who worked for me for two years and she was a professional dancer, you know, modern dancer and pursuing this career in acting. And she worked at one of my client's offices as a receptionist and she did some social media stuff. And I, you know, I met her, I instantly knew that she was super creative. She was like very, she was a hard worker. You know, she was someone you could trust. She could figure out anything, how to get the job done. And I needed someone to help me on some social media campaigns. So I asked my client and I hired her. And one of the things she said to me is she's like, you know, after the fact, two years later now, she's gone on. She's got like amazing jobs and worked great places. And she always says like, you know, thank you for believing in me because I had, you know, she had said to me at one point like, you know, I want to go after this job and I have no marketing right. skills. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're going to figure it out. Like, get rid of that narrative. But she ended up being, you know, working for me for two years and being an amazing employee. Well, you know, it's interesting you say it because you bring up an excellent point that I think uh, we should emphasize. And that is one of the things that happens with you, and I'm sure it continues to happen to you, with you, is that you recognize, whether consciously or unconsciously, that uh, even someone's pursuit of certain skill sets can give us a sense of their attributes. So this this woman, for example, had a pretty intense, yeah. successful pathway already. I, I'm not a dancer, but I would imagine that takes a lot of discipline and creativity and some of these attributes that are required to be successful in that. And so, and so we can actually lean upon our knowledge of certain environments already. And if we see people successful in those environments, that gives us a clue already into some of the attributes they have. So an example would be, you know, I could walk, I could walk down the street today and bump into a Navy SEAL, for example, that I've never met before. And immediately I know exactly a set of attributes that that Navy SEAL has, because that Navy SEAL, just by definition of going through what, what we both went through, I know that he has this, 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 and this, right? And so, so that can actually help us in hiring and selection and help your intuition, uh, I think, on certain people because because there are certain pathways and yes. skills that that inform that success along those. And I think it's important for people to rec recognize because it can be a little bit intimidating for someone, especially to read this book and like, oh my gosh, how do I, yeah. how do I find this stuff? I mean, is it, it's invisible. I mean, how do I find it? We, we know more than we think we do. And I think that's a good, good thing to, to emphasize. You created something called Mind Gym to help SEALs build resilience, manage PTS and pain. The Mind Gym so while I was running this training, the other task uh, that I was given was to look at resilience. And we were we were kind of, um, uh, you know, we were about 10 years into the war and uh, a little bit less, but we already started seeing guys coming back and they were broken, both physically and mentally. Guys were retiring broken physically and mentally. And we really wanted to kind of dive, in, dive into this idea of resilience. And, and really for me and for some of the guys who were working on it with me, we were also in, interested in what I call the next level of resilience. And so resilience 
obviously extremely important. It's an attribute. By definition, it's the ability to get knocked off a of baseline and then come back to baseline, to come back to where you were before, heal up to where you were before, whether it's physically or mentally, which is important and it's an important aspect in performance, bar none. We were interested also though, and admittedly I was interested even more in the next level, which is really anti-fragility. And again, it's a great book by Nassim Tlaib. Anti-fragility is the ability to, when you get knocked off baseline, when you come back, you've grown, you've grown stronger and your baseline has actually shifted. So we, we felt like, you know, all of us, you know, SEALs holistically were pretty darn good in the gym already. We were pretty physically fit. So there wasn't much, I mean, the, the movements mm -hmm. we could make on that meter were very minuscule. And so, it, you know, minuscule movements didn't interest us. We felt like the, the next leap could be mind, you know, because everything, everything starts there. Right. And so how could we just set up a, a, an environment where guys could begin to really develop a better working relationship with their mind in order to start to understand and in most cases control their physiology almost directly. And so this, it got into, you know, I, we, we were throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and I'm not sure where the initiative stands at this point. We, at the basic level, this is really, okay, how do we understand recovery and not only macro recovery, but kind of micro recovery and our ability to kind of swap and switch between sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. Sympathetic, obviously, we're in action, producing cortisol a lot, a lot of times. It's what we need to kind of move and survive and do stuff, especially in challenge and stress. But it's also very, uh, not so much destructive, but it's very taxing on the system. And it leaves, it leaves some, it leaves wear and tear is the best way to put it. Um, so our bodies are designed to, right. our nervous system is designed to shift into parasympathetic where we recover and our body makes DHEA and it begins to repair all that stuff, right? So, so could we begin to help guys develop a relationship with their brains and their minds so that they could shift more frequently and more deliberately from sympathetic to parasympathetic and create recovery space really on demand. And that's kind of where it started. Back in the same time frame, so around 2010-ish is when we started putting it together. And, and so we, you know, we started, we had some mental uh, conditioning coaches, you know, athletes have had those for a while uh, and tried to go beyond just, you know, kind right. of positive self-talk and things like that, but kind of get into some breathing techniques, HRV breathing we explored. Uh, we explored the float tanks and things like that, mental acuity drills in terms of how you could get a little bit faster on things. But I, and I would love to say, oh, we found this and we we did this and we had this level of improvement. It, we just, it was a very, it was at, right at the beginning and that type of stuff. Performance, especially mental performance is extraordinarily hard, even to this day to measure because it's hard to even get a baseline. It's like, okay, how do, how do I feel? Do I feel differently? And now we're talking about performance. This is, it's not necessary when you're helping mental health. I mean, because if someone is damaged or needs help in the mental health space, uh, that's a little bit easier to measure because if someone's not okay and then, and then they're okay, right. well, that, that, that's a good metric, right? But if someone's already okay, if you and I are already good at running our endurance races and suddenly we're better, what, how do you measure that mentally? <laughs> it's, it's just tough. And so it's hard right. to measure, hard but, to measure. Um, but that was the, what the mind gym initiative was. And so uh, some of the work that I'm doing even today focuses around this idea of how to better train our mental processes and our neurology so that we understand the relationship between our brain, our nervous system, and then our our bodies so that we may move through challenge and stress more efficiently. Um, and then on the back end, recover effectively so that we may grow at the back end because most high performers, and I, I put this, I put a, I put most seals in this category, love the challenge so much of moving through challenge and stress that they, that, that they truncate recovery. 
And if you, tr- if you truncate recovery, you're not going to effectively grow stronger. You might be resilient, but most likely just because of the, in some cases, addictive nature of challenge and moving through challenge and kind of crushing challenges, uh, you will a lot of times entropy your system uh, without knowing it. And that's, that's, it can be damaging over time. Mind Gym was something that you developed as part of the SEALs, but I think, you know, now it sounds like this is what you are moving towards as, you know, we're navigating uncertain times. And I know that you talk a lot about operating in a state of fear and anxiety and, you know, what are some attributes that we need to sort of manage and persevere in this kind of environment? Yeah, so fear is interesting, and I, and I became friends with a guy named uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist out of Stanford, ophthalmologist and neuroscientist out of Stanford, and he and I jailed at a at a peak performance conference we were at. It wasn't a conference; it was a peak performance gathering where we were kind of uh, talking amongst a small group on how to maybe put together a program for C-suite executives. And so we had a bunch of people there. David Goggins was there too, and I got to visit with David. Um, talk about a guy who. Fascinating story and a really a guy who very authentically crushes challenges and, and kind of takes control of his mind, uh, largely in a physical sense or through, yes. through, I think through a physical aperture. But uh, but yeah, really, uh, really great, great dude. And he and I actually, in, in reminiscing, realized we had served together at least once, which is cool. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I met Andrew at this conference and it was because we, neither of us were really thrilled about this idea of peak performance. And the reason was because peak is an apex from which we can only come down and peak typically has to be prepared for and planned for and scheduled. You know, for example, the, the professional football player uh, designs his entire week so that he may peak on Sunday for three hours, right? That's peak performance. Right. And so as such, it's really not sustainable, yet you see so many people trying to grab or be or interested in, in kind of, hey, how can I be, how can I peak as much as possible or peak all the time? And we were really interested in, right. in optimal performance because he, I think I was one of the first SEALs he ever met. And he was like, you guys seem to seem to be able to just move through challenge. And of course, Andrew was studying, um, among other things, fear and the fear response in his lab. And what we realized was that optimal performance was different. We were, you know, SEALs are optimal performers, as are spec ops folks, you know, holistically. Um, And that is, how can I do the very best that I can in the moment, whatever that best might look like? Okay, so so sometimes that best might look like peak. That might look like flow states and everything's clicking and everything feels great. Sometimes that best means, hey, I'm going step by step, right? I'm just, I have my head down and I'm just... I'm just moving forward. And so I think, so endurance athletes such as yourself can can actually resonate with this really, right. really well because because you go through- Because we have periodization training. Yeah. Yeah. And you go through your race and you, I could guarantee you're not at peak for your entire race. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are times- No, and we're not yeah, at peak for yeah. the whole year. I mean, we're only at peak for like one or two weeks. That's right. And then even training. in the race, you probably say, okay, this is the ch- this is the chance for me to turn it on and go up to level 10. Right. Uh, but now I'm going to, I'm going to, right. Yeah. Like yeah. And I'm going to, but now I'm going to dial it back to level four. And like you said, even in the swim, uh, sometimes, right. you know, you're just, oh, now I'm just chunking it, buoy to buoy. I mean, <laughs> that's all I got. Right. Yeah. That's my best right now. Yeah. For me, the swim is the warm up because there's, I just know myself. There's no way I'm crushing right. it on the swim. Not because I'm not a, not a good swimmer, just because I don't like to be around all those people. So the idea is attractive to me and, and Huberman because it's, this is what life is. Life is not about peak. Life is about doing the best you can in the moment because we never know what the moment is going to bring. We never know what's going to happen. We can predict at least a little bit, right? But if 2020 taught us anything, it's like, hey, 
We don't know, which means we have to be able to be okay with doing our very best, whatever that best may look like. And sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's gritty, dirty, messy, and ugly. And so in that pursuit, we started to break down fear because fear is a huge factor of kind of challenge and stress and what that is. And so based mm -hmm. on kind of my experience out in war and combat and then his study in a lab, we kind of realized that, hey, fear is actually, again, it's a combination of a couple of things. It's the combination of uncertainty and anxiety. And, and you can have one and not the other and fear won't show up. So for example, you can be anxious, but not uncertain. This is the person who's, you know, has a presentation to give and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. I'm going to do it. It's fine. But there's nothing uncertain about it. You're going to go give the presentation. Okay. So anxiety without uncertainty doesn't necessarily spark fear. Uncertainty without anxiety right. also doesn't necessarily spark fear. You can be uncertain about something and not anxious at all, right? Ask any kid on Christmas Eve, right? They're they're uncertain, but they're not anxious, right? right? So it's when you combine the two that you start to generate fear. And fear has an interesting uh, response in our body that we're all very familiar with. It's a it's basically fight or flight. So there's a freeze in there, but what they realize neurologically is that is that freeze is really just an oscillation between fight and flight. In other words, you're just not. You're not sure what you want to do yet. That's what freeze is. But but the fight and flight okay. circuits in the brain are actually separate circuits. So if I choose to flight, so to run away, to move away from my fear, it clicks the circuit in my brain. Sometimes that is necessary, right? And in you know, it's never a good idea to fight a bear, for example. So it's not wrong. However, when we choose to fight, which really it's not necessarily put up our dukes, it's just move into what we're afraid of, move into what we fear. That clicks a circuit. That circuit, Huberman has nicknamed the courage circuit because that is courage. Courage defined is the flip of right. the switch um, when you decide to move into fear. And when you do so, our body rewards us with dopamine, which is a powerful neurotransmitter. Most of us are familiar with dopamine at this point. Well, I mean, dopamine, again, tells us that something feels good, tells us keep going, keep doing this. And so, you know, most addictive substances that, that are on the planet, whether it be drugs or smoking or, or food or whatever, are, are such because they, they produce dopamine and dopamine tells us, hey, keep doing this. This feels good. That's why we keep doing it. Well, turns out that courage is the same thing. When we decide to step into our fear and move into it, we get a hit of dopamine. And this is by evolutionary design because uh, nature needed uh, human beings, need to give human beings a way to move into things that they were afraid of, go explore for, for new uh, for, for new shelter, go find new food, go on that hunt for the, for the bear that you just saw. The, the nature needed to have a system in which it could reward the human body for doing that. Now, it doesn't, some people wrongly assume that you only get that dopamine hit when you actually reach the goal. And that's not correct. You get the dopamine hit for every step you take forward. And so this is courage defined and tells us, hey, courage actually, first of all, what's interesting, and we've heard this many times, but this is neurologically now true, is that you cannot have courage without fear, right? So if there's no fear there, you're not gonna hit right. that courage switch. And therefore, you're not going to get that dopamine response. But courage is an attribute because our levels uh, of, in each one of us, our ability to step into that fear more easily or more, or, or with more difficulty are different. You know, some of us can step into that fear a little bit more easily than others. And that starts to dictate our levels of courage as an attribute. But the cool thing is, regardless if you're high or right. low, you can actually work on it by, well, it's cool in the sense that you can work on it. It's not so cool because the only way you can work on it is you have to put yourself <laughs> into environments that scare you. Um, but that's how you develop it.
that's what I wanted. I was going to ask you about courage because I feel like I have a lot of attributes, but courage to certain degrees. And I, I do, that is one of the attributes that I want to work on this year. And I will put myself in situations where I'm scared out of my mind just yeah. to overcome certain things, but not like more physically yeah. than yeah. like mental. But, um, but I did, I did. Um, so on your website, you have two really awesome evaluations. If listeners want to explore where they are with their attributes, they can go to the assessment tool on your website. I took the mental acuity and grit test, which are the two yep. that you drive offer. is coming, drive is coming. And so. I, my mental acuity was really high, like in all the different compartments, my grit mm. was mostly medium. And I actually, I thought the questions that you asked to get to like your evaluation were really interesting. I thought it was a great exercise. I found myself having a hard time answering some of the questions because I really had to think about, and a lot of them yeah. were around courage. I had to really think about like, what do I want to say That's versus right. what's yeah. the real thing? And I feel like that was part of the test. Like, I don't know if you time how long it took people, but you know, there were some questions where I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like, this is me. This is me. And then the others, I was kind of like, right. oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've never had yeah. to think about that. Like, what was the process for you putting this together? And tell me about the assessment tool. And yeah. And I mean, is this, this is part of obviously like what you're building with your book and your brand. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the assessment tool was harder than I thought it would be <laughs> to put one of those together. I, I, I had a great team uh, help me, um, a lady out of uh, San Francisco and uh, a psychometrician out of um, Florida. And we kind of just, just, we said, okay, how can we start to think about how to ask these questions in a way that gets at what we're trying to think or what we're trying to get at? What's interesting is the original try was let's generate scenarios. And if we put, if we have a scenario, then the, 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 the assessment taker can say, okay, in this scenario, maybe we can generate some of this, for example, fear in this scenario, and that'll help the, the user answer a little bit more honestly. Um, the problem with that is that uh, all of these attributes are so subjective um, and then fear in particular is so subjective that that it was we were finding it impossible to generate enough scenarios that could that could relate to the most amount of people. And even if we did that, it would have been a, a, an assessment that took a day to take. Right. Because it would have been so long. Um, and so. Uh, and so right. this is the, so the, so the key is uh, generate some questions that allow the user to think about it. So when you say that you had to really think about it, that actually is great to hear because that's the point. If you're answering too quickly, you're probably not thinking about it uh, too deeply enough um, because you have to get into the subjectivity of what you consider fearful or adapting or whatever. Um, the other thing that I do want to say though, yeah. is that when we, when we, um, when we developed this, what we did is we got these questions and then we just basically put it out to about a thousand people around the world. So we just collected data and basically got, got, um, baselines of where people sat on each of these attributes. So when you take the assessment online, um, and I encourage people to do so just recognize this, this it's a snapshot. Um, it's kind of like, okay, here's a, and it's, it's kind of a start point. Here's where I can start right. basically, but then there's going to be a, there's going to need to be a deliberacy in someone's ability to say, okay, based on this result that's saying I have, say I'm a, a level five on perseverance. Okay. Now let me think back to some times in my life where perseverance was really necessary and how did I respond and how did I act? And does that five line up with how I felt like I responded. And of course that has to be very honest self-introspection. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're like, well, maybe I, I think I was a little bit six or a little bit more of a six or seven, or 
I actually no, I probably a little bit, maybe a four or a three or no, actually five is pretty much spot on. I think I was a five on that. And then, and so there's some subjectivity that has to happen as you kind of dive down. So I would encourage people to, well, first, you know, first read the book because you're going to need to understand where, you know, which, you know, how, what, what each attribute means, right? I really, right, I, like, I mean, there's a, as you know, there's a right. chapter per attribute. So it really, I try to really define each attribute so someone understands what it is, uh, then take the assessment. Yes, you give great examples and stories that kind of help people mentally grasp what the attribute is. And then take the assessments, see where you stand, uh, and then ask yourself, okay, um, what do I what do I feel like? Hey, this I feel like I have a lot of these, and that resonates with me based on my past experience. I feel like I don't have as much of this or this, and I want to work on them. Again, we have to also understand you don't have to develop an attribute that you're low on. It really depends on what you need in your life in the moment. Um, you know, uh, if you right that's Everyone's right i mean you so might different. not need to work yeah. on your empathy you know you know you might be in a, in a kind of a self-directed profession where you're just working yourself i mean you know if you're a, if you're a woodworker just doing projects on your own you may not need to work on your empathy you might not want to so so decide which ones you think you want to work on um and then start developing i am i am throwing some stuff on the website here in the next uh, uh well here soon that will help people basically workbooks that will take people through a process of how to develop each attribute so if they want to develop say their task switching or their discipline uh, I've, I've developed a, a guide for them to develop that specific attribute so that should help someone if they want to develop it um, and the final note is right now so we're working on the drive one it should be up soon um, and uh, but the uh, but the leadership and team abilities those are those are going to come later um, and it's really solely because of the fact that the grid attributes, the mental acuity attributes, and the drive attributes can all be self-assessed. We can we can all kind of figure out how we how right. we stand. But just like we talked about, we don't get to call ourselves leaders. We don't get to call ourselves great teammates. Those uh, assessment tools will have to be 360s, where you send out to other people and they assess you and then give you some feedback because um, you don't get to tell uh, you don't get to tell yourself how authentic or selfless you are <laughs> or humble you are, right? So so we're working on those um, and hopefully have those uh, available as well. And how did you pick these 25 attributes, like as the key attributes? Where does it come from? Yeah, the, so the, the base list started when I was running training. And when I did this in the SEAL teams, we came up with 36 for what we were looking for in, uh, in a SEAL operator for this specific command. Um, and so I, I really kind of looked at that list. I dusted it off and said, okay, which ones are really very SEAL centric? And those came off because they were just really applied to, to SEALs and only SEALs. And then I said to myself, okay, what are the, what out of these can, can really speak to optimal performance? Not necessarily peak, but optimal. And then of course, chunking them and bidding them helps as well. So uh, the, the list though, I will say it's not exhaustive. You know, there's, there's many more attributes out there. I think this right. is a great start and I would encourage people to to think about attributes other than the, on this list because they're out there as well. Yeah, I think it's a great business. I mean, obviously you are also consulting since you've retired from the SEALs mm -hmm. a few years ago. You've been consulting with two companies, right? Yeah, I still do some work with the so Chapman and Co. They're a, they're a, a leadership company out of St. Louis attached to uh, Barry Wimler, which is a manufacturing uh, group, and I that's I describe Barry Wimler in the book, and then Simon Sinek, who you know, author of Start with Why and some other uh, really cool books. I do some some work with them as well. But then I also do consulting. I, I do um you know I own the attributes business, and I'm doing consulting along attributes, which is separate, and then keynotes and things like that. But ultimately, let's right uh, you know designing it so that people can really start to explore these things, these attributes if they want to. 
and uh, for themselves, for their businesses, for their teams. And then, yeah, we'll offer some stuff to, to, uh, to people if they want to go a little bit deeper. So you're doing business consulting, leadership keynotes, webinars, like all the cool bells and whistles that can help companies grow, expand their revenue streams. Great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Being a Navy SEAL sounds like one of the most incredibly cool opportunities to have in a lifetime. What inspired you to pursue a career in the military? What led you down the road to become a Navy SEAL? Yeah, I, so as a kid, my dad was a private pilot and he used to take us flying all the time, my brothers and my sister and I. And I have a twin brother, identical twin brother, and, um, and he and I were sold on aviation from the get-go. And we decided when we were probably eight years old that we wanted to be Navy pilots. And we wanted to be Navy pilots because we knew that Navy pilots landed on, on ships and there was probably nothing harder or cooler than landing a jet on a ship. And so, uh, and so that was really our, our, our kind of our bent until it was, it was right uh, after the first Gulf War in the 90s, um, 91, I think. And an article came out uh, in Newsweek and it had a guy with a camouflage face and it was called Secret Warriors. And this article was all about all of the US Special Operations Forces, many of which were involved in that first Gulf War. And I remember leafing through this article and uh, it went through all of them. So it went through Army Rangers and Green Berets and Navy SEALs and Air Force Pararescue and such. And, um, and there uh, were about 25 different pictures of, of spec operators in different environments. So someone in the snow, someone in the water, someone you know with, uh, with parachute gear on. Um, and what I realized is out of the 25 pictures of all these guys in different environments, like 20 of them were SEALs. Um, and they were they were all in different environments. I was like, man, these seals do everything. It seems like, and so so I started looking into it, and I realized, man, these are this is a, a community of people that was really cool, kind of badass. Uh, they were they 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 come from the water. They're kind of waterborne, and I was always a water rat. I love, love I'm the most comfortable underwater. I think um, this idea of making kind of a hostile place because the water is hostile <laughs> to most of us. Uh, your your refuge. Yes, it is. Um, I thought was cool and audacious, and so. Um, and so uh, when I went to college, uh, I, I joined Navy RTC and I said to myself, well, I, I could be, I know I could be a jet pilot in the Navy. I just know, I know I, I could do that. I never wanted to look outside my cockpit at a bunch of Navy SEALs and wonder if I could do that. And so I said, okay, I'm going to try this. And so, yeah. and so I went down that road and, and went to SEAL training and made it through. And then of course, once you're through, you, you start a career. And that was in 96 when I graduated and got commissioned in the Navy. So I was in the teams for about five years and, and I had no intentions of getting out at that time. I just, I, I met my wife in 2001 and we got married and we were fine. Everything was going well, but then the towers uh, came down and um, things got really uh, hot and heavy <laughs> pretty fast. And So you were in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yes, both many times. Yep. It's an interesting career. So I so went there many times and was part of that. And that, you know, you're, you're in this career and it kind of, it goes quickly. I mean, before you know it, you're in for 10 years and 15 years and, and 20 years. One of my most enjoyable jobs while I was in the teams was running this training and uh, assessment selection training that we've been talking about, uh, because it really was a time, it was a chance for yeah. me to really sit down and think about things that I hadn't thought about and dive into performance and behavior in ways that I had never done. And so uh, so I'm incredibly grateful to have uh, been able to serve, to be able to to learn what I've learned, uh, to be able to come back and and be okay. Many of my friends didn't, and so uh, so I'm grateful to have served. I'm glad it's over because <laughs> I like being at home. But are you still in shape? Well, no, not as not as in good shape as I was. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, it's interesting though. 
So I guess going for a long run is nothing for you. Well, so people say that I do not run like you run. I really don't. I run, uh, you know, I run for, <laughs> but I run for um, like my philosophy is I start slow and I finish eventually. That's how I run. And I usually do it in a, in the woods, I think, but it's Marnie, it's funny when you're in a profession that, you know, physical fitness is just, is it's a routinized, right? And if you, so, so you're, when you're not deployed, you know, kind of overseas doing the business and your home, the expectation is that the first two or three hours of your day is spent, you know, in training, PTing, you know, and doing physical activity of some sort. I and mean, that's, that's an expectation. You just don't find that anyplace else. And even when you're, you're self-employed like I am to, to dedicate that type of time is sometimes difficult when you're writing a book and putting together a business. I think you can relate. So, but also, I mean, I went through buzz when I was 22 years old. I mean, that, you know, you talk about resiliency. I mean, our bodies at that age are designed to take a beating and just get stronger. <laughs> you know, so, so now I'm 47 and I have to, you know, be, I have to PT a little bit smarter. Uh, so, so I have some resolutions that I have for, for 2021, uh, most certainly when it comes to, to fitness. What's your training like these days? Yeah, I do. I, so I weight lift. I do, I do strength training because I think that's important, especially as you get older. It's important to strength train. So I do a lot of strength training. Training. I do run. I don't run more than, say, five miles, um, but I run. And running for me is, is very um, cathartic. And it's actually a recovery for me um, because I, I, don't, I don't wear headphones. I don't tear my phone. I don't time myself. And I just run in the woods or around here in Virginia and just think it's a really good thinking time for me. So I do run, I do, I do conditioning. So I'll like, there's a huge, huge hill right where near where I live. And so I'll go and I'll like run up and down that 10 or 15 times just to condition myself. But I really try to balance my fitness so that it's just, it's, it's consistent. And I don't have like, I'm, I don't have any uh, racing goals. So I'm not training for something, but it's consistent. And then I think if I, if I, if you were to ask what I want to work on, like in 2021, I want to, I want to try to get more flexible. I think I need to stretch more because I think that's important as we get older. So like yoga. I think yoga. Yep. My wife has done a little yoga, so I might start getting into yoga and get a little bit more flexible, but, but yeah, that's it. It's, it's a, it's a habit now, which is good. It's interesting to hear that coming from a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I'm not the norm. I think there are a lot of SEALs who are still really hitting it hard in the gym and that's, that's nothing wrong with that. I think, in fact, I, I wish I had a little bit more of their yeah. self-discipline to do that, but, uh, but you, you do what you can, right? Yes. Do what you can. Well, this has been so awesome. I'm really psyched to have spoken with you and have you on the podcast. And I really appreciate you having me on and, and taking such an interest. It's always fun to meet and converse with people who have interesting perspectives and interesting minds. And so I really appreciate that. And, and I appreciate what you do because I think it's, it's really helpful for people to, to see folks who have succeeded, whether it be military, whether it be entrepreneurship, whether it be endurance, athletics, but those who have, who are interested in giving people some tips and guidance that they can relate to. Because obviously you're not telling people, you're not telling everybody, hey, go run a triathlon. That's how you, that's how you'd be better. And I'm not telling people to go, you know, to Navy SEAL training. It's just like, no, no, you can, you can humanize this and, and do really well today with your family, in traffic, with your job, um, with just some of these tips. And that's really what fascinates me. Yes, I agree. It's great to connect with like-minded people. This has been so awesome. I was looking forward to this one. So thanks so much. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, 
Sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out 